Welcome! I am recording this on Thursday, October 13th in the year 2022nd. That is what's called the Gregorian calendar. In the Jewish calendar, it is the 18th of Tishri in the year 5783. And I know you're thinking, why are you telling me about some odd calendar? Well, if we're gonna live brightly, we need to understand where we came from. We need to understand the Jewish roots. Now, not to the point where we pretend to be Jewish or we pretend to participate in everything Jewish, but as an understanding, as a way to know God more so that in turn, we can burn brighter. Now, the Jews are in the middle of the final holy day and festival. It started on sunset because the day starts, there was night and there was morning the first day. So the day starts at sunset and it started on October 9th and it runs through October 16th or the 15th of Tishri to the 22nd of Tishri. Tishri is the Jewish month. It is a festival of booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And these are basically just tents that they put up and it's very social, it's very engaging. And the idea is that you live in the tent or at least eat in the, this tent, this sukkah, and you visit each other's sukkahs, you eat food, you drink wine, you just have a really good celebration. Now, when we look at the Jewish calendar, it's often depicted circular because there's this idea that it's continual. And I find that very interesting because our calendar, we have, you know, the new year and then we have December 31st and it all kind of, it's very linear. So we're gonna look at this holiday, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles and the significance of it and how it can help us live brighter. Thanks for joining me. This is the Living Rightly Podcast with Elaine Cross. I'm Elaine Cross, your host. And I am excited to share this with you because understanding our Jewish roots is very important to me. As Christians, we have so divorced ourselves from the fact that Jesus was a Jew and Jesus celebrated all of these holidays. And we don't understand what they're about. We don't understand the significance of them. And we don't understand the point with where we are today and where we are headed when Jesus returns. So let's get started. The Jewish calendar is lunar, which means it's based on the full moon and the phases of the moon where our calendar is solar and very linear. Jesus said multiple times, I am the vine, you are the branches. And one of those is in John 15, 5. And in Romans 11, we read that we are grafted in. And there's a risk because if God will prune branches that have gone astray, if you will, have, have shown sign of sickness or, you know, just basically not following God, you know, the imagery of a vine being cut off. Well, God could easily reattach that and graft the original vine back in. 
And when he cut those off, he grafted us into his vine. He grafted us into his root. So understanding the root that we come from, Judaism and the holidays and what the foundation of our beliefs started in Judaism. Of course, they're very different. And again, I'm not here to turn us into a bunch of Jews or pretend like we're even messianic in any way. But we have been disconnected from our root. And in a way, we can learn more about God and we can honor that connection, that grafting, as we learn about our own adoption and God's wisdom and God's heart for us through this adoption. So we are in the fourth day of a seven-day holiday known as the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. It's also referred to as the ingathering. And there's a very interesting word, the ingathering. And we know God is in a process of calling Jews back to Israel. There has been a huge migration, a return of Jews to Israel, the land, and that's something that God has done several times over the years, generations. So when we have <laughs> when we have New Year, it's the end of one year and the start of the next. So we have December 31st, what will end 2022, January 1st, we will start 2023, and everything counts from there and everything is within that calendar year because our calendar year starts and ends at the same time. Now, in Jewish tradition, it doesn't work that way. And in the Bible, it doesn't work that way. So in God's way, it's not linear. New Year's, the new year in the Jewish calendar actually starts in the seventh month. Okay. (laughs) I know it seems kind of silly, but in the Bible, it says this will be the first of the year. And in that month, there are three major holidays, and we are in that final holiday. Now, this final holiday is actually the last holiday of the year. I know, seven holidays, we're finishing the third one in this month, but it's the last holiday of the holiday year. And New Year's for our Jewish brothers and sisters lasts about 30 days, not quite, more like 22 days where you you finally get this this three holidays kind of packed into the beginning or the majority of a month. And to announce it, I've read that it's traditionally, they would blow the shofar, the horn, for 30 days before the first day of the new year, the head of the year. So there was a horn. Imagine if you got an alert on your phone For 30 days, the whole month of December, basically, get ready, the New Year's coming, 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 get ready, get ready, get ready, every day. The Feast of Tabernacles is the last holy day, the last festival in the Jewish calendar, but it follows New Year's, and it's not immediately followed New Year's, there's another holiday in between. In our calendar in the United States, we have holidays all over, right? We have holidays all through the year. In January, we celebrate New Year's Day. In February, we have Martin Luther King Day. 
and we have President's Day. And then in March or April, we have Easter. In May, we have Memorial Day. July, we have July 4th, Independence Day. September, we have Labor Day. November, we have All Saints Day and Thanksgiving. And then December, we have Christmas. So we have a holiday almost every month. We have Easter in the spring, which we're all familiar with. And then we have Thanksgiving and Christmas, which are more like our fall, early winter holidays. The Jews have holidays in the spring and in the fall. And they're almost appointments with God. These are days that God set aside in the process of coming out of Egypt. So during the whole wandering in the desert, right? They, they left Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai and God gave them the law. And in the law were these festivals, these holy days. And there were spring holidays, festivals, and there were fall holidays and festivals. And I'm just going to give you a quick overview. There's four in the spring, Passover. We know what Passover is. Along with that is unleavened bread and first fruits. And then they count 49 days and they have Shavuot or Pentecost, which is when they arrived at Mount Sinai and got the law. They became a nation. That was like their beginning, the birth of the Israeli nation. And then they go several months to the fall. So you've got four in the spring, and then you've got all through the summer, and then you've got these fall holidays. Now, the fall holidays are all within that first month, that top of the year, Tishri. On the first day, you have New Year, and it's like the opening of the gate. And it is the Feast of Trumpets, and they blow the trumpet a lot. And there's the opening of three books in heaven, the book of the holy righteous, the book of the holy wicked, and the book of those that are kind of in between. And basically, they have 10 days to repent. 10 days later is Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, where they meet with God. And God's cloud of glory comes down. And this is when the priest goes into the Holy of Holies with incense. So you've got the cloud of incense of us, of man and the cloud of glory of God, and they mingle together, and God's cloud of glory covers us and kind of sets the stage for the next year to hold off until the next year when the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies. And this is where they have the two goats. One is sacrificed for the sins, and the other is let go as a scapegoat. So you've got this very powerful time of remembrance and contemplating and thinking about what you did over the year and how you used your time and your energy and your resources to serve God and serve God's other children. And then you've got this time of reflection and repentance and just reconnecting to God and saying, God, you know, I do want to serve you. And I didn't do quite as much as I should have done last year, but by golly, this year is going to be better. And forgive me, and let's move on to this next year. Give me another year to serve you here. And then when that's over, it's almost immediately they have to build these booths and do this Feast of Tabernacles, this Feast of Booths, where they have to go live outside. And this is another seven-day holiday. So imagine this is pretty busy with these three holidays back to back first of the year and awareness that, oh my goodness, the, these books are going to be opened, the books of the holy righteous and the holy wicked and those in between, and I'm probably in between, and what can I do to get to the righteous side? And 
be counted as righteous enough to continue what I'm doing here to serve God and serve his other children. And when I look at these spring festivals and these fall festivals or these spring holy days, and these fall holy days, it's easy to see two ends, but because it's not linear, it's not two ends. It's almost like they circle in on themselves. But the image that I got as I was studying this is the infinity circle. It kind of goes to the left and makes a loop and then it crosses a point in the middle and goes to the right and makes another loop. And you've got that pinpoint in the middle where the two circles meet, where they cross over. And that is like the spring and the fall, when the spring and the fall meet. And we see this in our calendar, in the solar calendar, as the two equinox. We have two days of the year when the sun is equally bright and equally dark. It's the longest day of the year. There's two days, the spring equinox and the fall equinox. And it's basically when between the tilt of the earth on its axis, and its rotation around the sun, it reaches a point where it's in perfect unity. So the sun is exactly on top of the equator. So everybody on the earth has the same day, in essence, where the rest of the year, your day is a little longer, or your day is a little shorter, and it depends on how far up you go from the equator or below the equator, because of the tilt of the earth, there's only these two days when everybody has basically the same kind of day because the sun is perfectly in the middle. So if you take those two loops of the infinity circle and you have the spring on one side and the fall on the other, it's almost like God is constantly pulling us back toward him with this never-ending circles through years and years and years and years, and we loop back toward being closer to him and being aware of his presence and his protection and his provision in our lives. It's a beautiful imagery. The spring holiday of Passover, for us Christians, we have the image of Jesus in the upper room celebrating. And then, of course, he went to the garden and he prayed and then he was betrayed And then judgment came and his crucifixion and three days later, his resurrection. Well, for the Jews, they remember the Passover being slavery and Moses and the Nile and the plagues that God sends through Moses and God's protection of all the Israelites in Goshen, right? Because the Israelites didn't get the plagues, only the other areas of Egypt got the plagues. And it's let my people go. But it's actually, let my people go worship. Let my people go worship me. And then there was the death of the firstborn and the lamb's blood that they put on the doorpost that protected them. And this spirit of death came through. And yet God's protection covered them so that they could leave and set off. But of course, they set off very quickly. So they have the unleavened bread. So you can see these two extremes, and yet they're kind of celebrating the same event. I want to take a break here and remind you that this is a Value for Value podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast and find value in what you've heard or what you're hearing, I ask that you turn that value into a number and go to elainecross.com and make a donation. 
I freely provide my time, my talent, and I publish it, but I need your help to continue to provide this for you and for, now I don't wanna set a value or set up a paywall with a subscription because I want people to be able to hear this. Now, I also do not want to get corporate advertisers, which I probably could do, but they would control the content and you are who I want to control the content. I want God to tell me as I'm studying or as you write questions to decide what we put on this podcast. So I need your help to produce it and I need you to help me to continue it. I need you to take the value that you're getting turn it into a number and make a donation. And we can turn the lights up. We can push back against the chaos together, the chaos of darkness, one person at a time. So partner with me, help promote, help publish this podcast by being a producer. And when you produce it, then we can all continue to be the light so that others can find their way. Well, let's continue. So where we left with unleavened bread, there is an element of unleavened bread in both of these holidays, both Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. So when you look in Exodus chapter 12, this is where we see that this is the beginning of months, the first month of the year. On the 10th day, you take a lamb, a sheep or a goat, one-year-old, keep it until the 14th day. So you're bringing this lamb into your family, into your fold, into your house. And you take care of it until the 14th day. And then on the 14th day, you kill it, you put the blood on the mantle and you eat the meat, you roast it with fire and you eat unleavened bread. That's Passover and it starts the festival of unleavened bread, which lasts seven days. And then when you jump down in in Exodus 12, 37, it says, are blessed by all the Egyptians and they get all this gold and clothing and and stuff and they take all their animals and everything. And they, starting in verse 37, the children of Israel travel from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men, not counting women and children, flocks or herds. And they baked unleavened bread. They could not delay and they could not prepare provisions. And in verse 42, it says, it's a night of watchfulness to the Lord. This is the Lord's watch night. Then in Exodus 13, verse 20, they took their journey from Sukkot and encamped at Etam and at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. And by night, the pillar of fire to give them light that they might go day and night. So they traveled and traveled. I don't know if he gave them supernatural strength, but they left Egypt and they went to Sukkot. Then they went from Sukkot to Etam. And then they went from Etam to the Sea of Reeds, which is they were coming back. So it's like they went out and then they started coming back. And Egypt got word of this. So Egypt pursued them to destroy them and take them back as slaves. And in Exodus 14, we read, God says, why do you call to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Lift up your rod and you know, part the sea parted. And it's at this point that the angel of God and the cloud moved behind them between the Israelites and the Egyptians. Now, this is very interesting because this cloud had just kind of been a, 
a GPS leading them to where they were supposed to go. So it didn't matter that they they went out and then they started coming back. You know, this was what God was seeing. And God said, oh, I'm going to send Pharaoh. This is going to harden his heart. And this was a way for God to destroy Pharaoh and 300 of his best chariots or 600 of his best chariots. A bunch of Egyptians were pursuing them. But initially, for those first three days, it was just God leading them. And they followed the cloud wherever the cloud went. And then when the Egyptians came, there was a change, a significant change. And the cloud went between the Israelites and the Egyptians and became their protector. The role of this cloud was no longer just to lead them, but it was to protect them, to create a a darkness on the Egyptian side so they couldn't see what the Israelites were doing. And it was light on the Israelite side so they could see and walk across the Red Sea, which again, they did at night. So you've got all of these big things happening associated with this holiday of Sukkot, as well as the holiday of Passover. You can see where these two are connected because in the holiday of Passover, they celebrate what they ate and the killing of the lamb and putting the blood over the lamppost and God protecting them and providing for them with this unleavened bread. And in the holiday of Sukkot, we see that God is putting them, God made them to live in these tents, in these little huts, where Passover is about what they ate and what God did to protect them with the the blood of the lamb. In Sukkot, they see that God was leading them and directing them where they were staying. You know, when they left Egypt, they were putting 100% of their trust in God. And I've already talked about how important the word of trust is. They trusted God for everything. They had no time to prepare. Now, God knew. God knew that they were not going to be perfect people, right? God lives outside of time and he looks into time when he sees us. So you've got people that want to serve God, but he knows, he just knows they're going to be unfaithful. They're going to be faithless. They're going to look back longingly and they're going to grumble and they're going to doubt. They're even going to build a golden cow. And though God considers destroying them and starting over, he doesn't. He doesn't because of this cloud. (laughs) I know that sounds really interesting and kind of surreal. The first time cloud appears in scripture is in Genesis 9.13, where God set his rainbow in a cloud as a sign of a covenant between God and the earth. Now you read on a couple of verses and it says God and the earth and all the creatures of the earth, all the living creatures of the earth. This is not a covenant between God and man. This is a covenant between God and the earth. And God put the rainbow in the cloud as a covenant to say he would never again destroy the whole earth because of people. And now when God says this cloud to help guide the Israelites in the desert, And when the Egyptians start to pursue them, the angel of God who was in the cloud, which nobody knew was there, it just says so in the Bible. So the angel of God in the cloud moved between the Egyptians and the Israelites is a symbol of this fulfillment, this this protection of this covenant 
that God had made with Abraham, that God had made with Israel, that these would be his people. And God provided for them, and God protected them, and God sent this cloud to remind them of the covenant. When the Jews celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, where they built these sukkuts, these huts, these would-be tents, you can have walls, but you cannot have a solid roof. The roof has to be greenery. It has to be reeds. If you're along the side of the sea of reeds, you probably have a lot of reeds. That's what you're going to put on your roof, okay? And then you're, if you're moving around, you're probably going to take as much with you as you can because you're headed to the desert. You don't know when you're going to get more. But you have to be able to see through to see the stars in the sky. So it has to be permeable. It cannot be a solid roof because it's not about us in our own work and our own ability and our own strength to protect us. It's about God is my provider. God is my protector. God is my provision. There are two unique things about the Feast of Tabernacles. This complete trust of the Israelites in God to provide and protect for them and this cloud to guide and protect them. So where does a cloud come in with Jesus? Well, I'm going to tell (laughs) you. The cloud is not just mentioned at the time of Noah and at the time of the Exodus. We see the cloud on Mount Sinai. Matter of fact, there's so many places in the Old Testament and the New Testament making this connection that The cloud really represents God's presence. And when the Israelites go and live in their sukkah, it's a reminder to them, now that they have their city, they have their promised land, they have good homes, and they have good crops, and they have all this provision and protection, they can do it on their own. But when they go and spend seven days in a tent with a a leaky roof, a roof you can see through, It reminds them that although God has blessed them abundantly, they still rely on his presence. They still rely on his presence and his protection. So we see the cloud on Mount Sinai when God spoke to the Israelites. The glory of the Lord was in a cloud when Aaron spoke to Israel in Exodus 16. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle, Exodus 40, verse 30, and the house of the Lord is filled with a cloud in response to worship in 2 Chronicles 5.13. But we also see this in Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, this was this revelation of who Jesus is in Matthew 17. There's this cloud. During Jesus' ascension in Acts 1.9, there's this faithfulness of God. When Jesus returns, he's going to return in the cloud as we saw him leave. Mark 13, and that's the power of God. And then we see Jesus' transfiguration with the two witnesses. And again, we hear this voice of God and these promises of eternity and togetherness, preservation. God leads, protects, and communicates with the Israelites through the cloud. Well, a cloud or a mist is a reasonable way to visualize a fully spiritual God. But then Jesus came in the physical. God became flesh and lived with us. And then the Father gathered him home in a cloud, this presence of God. 
this Sukkot, this Feast of Tabernacles, this meeting with God, this ingathering of the people of God to spend time with God one-on-one. It's a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful reminder that God is constantly calling us back to a relationship with him, back to time with him. And yes, we get busy in the world and we're supposed to serve God's children and we're supposed to minister to God's children and we're supposed to use our time and our talent and our gifts to change this world. But we also have to have this time when we come back to him and we know that we can trust him fully. Even when man is untrustable, we can trust God. And even when things look bleak, God is our provision. God is our protection. God is our provider. The beauty of the Feast of Tabernacles reminds us of these things. So when I put up my sukkah, I build my tabernacle on my back porch and I try to invite people over to celebrate and to be together and commune. Where two or more are gathered, I am there also. I get to commune with God as well. Now, if you don't know how to start a relationship with Jesus, head over to elainecross.com slash forward slash Jesus and download the free ebook there, Connecting to Your True Power Source. It'll explain it all to you. It'll walk you through how to really develop a relationship with God so that you too can commune with God, that when he has this in-gathering, you can be part of the in-gathering, where God draws you to himself in a very personal way and draws you to his other children to encourage and support and build up. Now, for the next foreseeable future, I'm going to focus on making these connections to our Jewish roots, because I think it's very important for us, especially as we look to how we're going to serve God's other children, how we're going to push back against the chaos of darkness in this world, how we can be individually a light and together a city on the hill. So if you want to prepare, if you want to be ready, if you want to follow along, next week we're going to look at the portion of scripture The Jews look at the Torah, which is the books that Moses got from God, and they divide it up into weekly readings. So next week, the weekly reading is where it all begins again, and it's the blessing, Moses' final blessing in Deuteronomy, and the beginning where God created the heaven and the earth. So if you want to follow along, we're going to read the last two chapters of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 33 and 34. And then we're going to go into Genesis and read the first paragraph in Genesis, which is basically Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3. Yes, the Christians, when they started putting chapters and verses into the Bible in 300 AD, had already divided from their root of Judaism, and they made some inaccurate division marks. So the first paragraph of Genesis runs through chapter 2, verse 3. So the last two chapters in Deuteronomy and the first chapter and the first three verses of chapter two in Genesis. And I'll see you next week. Remember, be the light and help others find their way to Jesus through you. Individually a lamp, together a city on the hill. Till next time.